And good morning. Uh, if I didn't have a chance to meet you last week, uh, my name is Jeremiah Johnson, and it's my pleasure to be with you uh, this week and for the next several weeks as we uh, continue to explore together some truth out of Matthew uh, chapter 5, and I look forward to, to meeting each and every one of you over the next several weeks. I will probably have to ask your name more than once. I apologize for that um, in advance, but I do look forward to meeting you all. Uh, a little over a week ago, um, Friday before last, I um, buried a friend of mine, did a funeral for a wonderful, uh, wonderful lady who uh, died very unexpectedly, very quickly, very suddenly of COVID. Uh, her son is my age, and we are friends. Uh, our birthdays are in the same month, and it was very normal for us to go out to um, have birthday dinners together with a group of friends uh, over the years. And uh, as they got to the graveside, I pulled him aside, and I, I just talked with him for a minute, as I do with every family before a funeral, and, and just wanted to try to get a sense of, of how he was that moment, that day, and and, and just asked him, how are you? And I knew the answer before he gave it to me because it's the answer that almost everyone gives me at funerals. The answer was, I'm fine. In a world of hurt and fear and division and anger and hate and pride, we're not fine. We need something that will help anchor us in the midst of the raging storm of the world around us. We need the Jesus way. Jesus gives us a new identity in him and a new kingdom in him and a new way of life in him, and he calls us to live in a particular way. And nowhere is that more plain than in what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And those, that sermon begins with these Eight sayings that we call the Beatitudes, that name comes from the Latin word from which each sentence begins, but these eight sayings that are, well, they're, they're kind of like Jesus' new Ten Commandments, except they're not really commandments, they're more like, like eight pillars of how his kingdom is going to work, eight, eight center posts, guiding principles of our faith. They are the ways in which we connect to God. They're the ways in which we connect to each other. They're the ways in which we connect to his kingdom. And when everything is not fine, we need to return again and again and again to these truths that Jesus gives to us, these, these new kingdom ways in which his kingdom works. So I, I want to begin again, as I did last week in Matthew chapter 5, um, this time looking at verse 4. And then from there, we'll hop, skip, and jump around to some other points in the Bible. Uh, but as we head into Matthew chapter 5, we again see that Jesus is bringing his kingdom on earth. And, and, and as he does, he brings his kingdom in a, in a kind of unique and peculiar and honestly very remarkable way. As he says things like what we looked at last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, or Blessed are those who know that they need God, who cannot do it on their own. Blessed are those who are willing to be humble enough to say, God, I need you. And everything is built off of that. And so we come, having talked about that last week, to our second of the Beatitudes, our second blessing. And it reads like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. 
for they shall be comforted. And again, as we begin to talk about these blessings that Jesus gives us, let us remember that blessing is not wealth or possession or privilege or comfort or ease, but blessing is rooted in relationship. Almost every time the New Testament uses the word blessed, it's rooted in relationship language, almost uh, exclusively in the New Testament relationship with God. And so we talked last week, and we're going to use this definition uh, throughout our discussion of the Sermon on the Mount and, and the Beatitudes, that blessing is really about a state of divine joy that is based in nearness to God and does not depend on worldly situations or material possessions. Blessing is a state of divine joy based in nearness to God, not on the situations of the world around us or what we may find ourselves having or not having. And Jesus says to his audience there on that hillside and to us thousands of years later, blessed in a state of close relationship with God and full of joy are you when you mourn. Which is weird, right? Like that's, on the face of it, that, that's kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around. Joy-filled are you as you cry. I don't think so, Jesus. Doesn't feel like joy, does it? And yet Jesus says that there is blessing for us when we are willing to engage in mourning. So let's talk about it. And as we talk about mourning today, the first thing that we need to say about it is that it's okay. It's okay to mourn. It is okay to mourn. Our culture has a hard time believing that. We live in a culture that has taught us that boys don't cry, men don't cry, big girls don't cry. What are you going to do, cry about it? Or are you going to do something about it? Don't be a sissy. Stop your crying right this instant. We live in a, a culture where when we're faced with the sudden and difficult loss of a parent and somebody says, how are you doing? Our, our instantaneous reaction to that is, I'm fine. We live in a culture where it's not okay to admit that we're mourning. And yet the Bible does it all the time. The Bible is filled with people who mourn. Even a cursory reading of the scriptures makes it, okay, uh, makes it clear that it is okay to mourn. King David in the Old Testament, uh, who slayed his tens of thousands, who united Israel and reigned over the injustice, wrote these words in Psalm 6, Verse 6, he said, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Has that ever been you? It's okay to be honest here, we're in church. Has that ever been you, where you have felt like this, that, that you're just, you're mourning hard. And you're not sure it's ever going to end. 
David felt like that sometimes. Jesus himself, who is arguably the most emotionally stable human being to ever walk the earth, had moments where he mourned. When faced with the death of a close friend, Jesus mourns. In fact, in perhaps what is the most poignant two words of all of Scripture, John eleven thirty five 35 puts it so succinctly and hauntingly, Jesus wept. And listen, if it's okay for Jesus to weep, if it's okay for David to cry, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to say things aren't okay. It's okay to express that emotion. It's okay to weep and to grieve. It's okay to do that. And not only is it okay, but it's necessary. It's okay to mourn. It is necessary to mourn. It's necessary to mourn tragedy, to acknowledge it, to pause there, to to stare at it, and to break down. It's necessary or we don't heal. It's necessary or we don't move forward. And that's true pretty much no matter what tragedy we happen to be facing Psychiatrists and psychologists and experts in human behavior tell us that if we will not acknowledge our grief, we will not be able to heal from tragedy. And so whether that grief comes from losing a loved one, which perhaps you have done recently, or perhaps it has been some time and you've just not dealt with it, or whether that grief comes from from an upheaval in your life, a, a blow that you took at work or at, a bullying that happened at school. Whether that grief happens from heartache or from fear, how am I going to pay the bills? Whatever the source of that grief, it's okay to mourn and it's necessary to mourn. And that is especially true when the tragedy that we face is sin. It is necessary to mourn the tragedy of sin. And so as Jesus sits on that mountainside and he talks to people who know what mourning is because they have been oppressed by the Romans, they've been oppressed by the ruling class of their own people. As he talks to those people who understand the tragedy of loss because they live in humiliation and poverty. As he talks to those people about mourning, they are aware that they have a sin issue. Jesus makes it abundantly clear throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the rest of his teachings as well. And so as we talk about mourning today, as we say blessed are those who mourn, we need to talk about what we should mourn. We, by necessity, must mourn sin. We must mourn it in three ways. 
we must mourn our sin personally. We must mourn sin personally. When David is confronted by the prophet Nathan over his sin in his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David is so overcome by the weight of his own sin and the consequences of that sin that he begins to weep and cry and mourn on the floor face down before God. He dresses himself in sackcloth and puts dust on his head and he fasted and he mourned for days and days and days and days over his sin and its consequence. We need to mourn over our sins personally, whatever they may be. Pride, jealousy, greed, lust, hate, gossip, apathy, falsehood, idolatry, the idolatry of placing Entertainment before God, work before God, politics before God, leisure before God, self before God. Whatever the thing is that we wrestle with, whatever our sin, it must be mourned before God. We need to mourn. We, by necessity, must mourn sin personally. And it is also necessary to mourn sin corporately. And by corporately, I mean with inside the gathering of the church. The church must learn to mourn its sin. When the Apostle Paul discovered that the church in the city of Corinth had a sin issue in it that they were not dealing with and in fact were proud of, he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that instead of being proud, they ought to mourn their sin and do something about it. In fact, he, he calls for them to mourn their sin and then throw the sinner out of the church because that's how bad it had gotten. The church must acknowledge its sins and mourn them, whether those sins are present or past. And so we must mourn the sins of the church, the sin of division and dissension, the sin of apathy toward the poor, the sins of racism and sexism, the sin of idolatry of Christian nationalism that is wrapping the cross and the flag. The sin of being discipled more by CNN and Fox News than by the Bible. The sin of judgmentalism devoid of love masquerading as holiness. We must acknowledge our sins and mourn them corporately as a community we must, by necessity, mourn our sin personally and corporately, and it is also to necessary to mourn our sin for our nation. The prophets of the Old Testament mourned again and again and again 
Israel's sin. In fact, they mourned sin so much that one of them, my namesake, the prophet Jeremiah, has become known as the weeping prophet because he mourned the sin of Israel so much. They mourned on the nation's behalf Israel's idolatry and its oppression of the poor. And we should mourn on our nation's behalf as well. We should mourn on our nation's behalf. We're really, really good at pointing out the bad things in our nation. I'm not really sure that we're very good at mourning for our nation. We should mourn for our nation its political divisiveness, its culture of violence and abuse. We should mourn the millions upon millions upon millions spent on entertainment while people in our towns and cities starve. We should mourn school shootings and gun violence. We should mourn the grievous sin of abortion. We should mourn the grievous sin of the execution of the guilty. We should mourn children separated from their parents. We should mourn poverty. We should mourn our insane incarceration rates and our extreme wealth inequality. We should mourn that we live in a place like this that has treated its people so badly for so long. That has ignored the word of God and the will of God We should mourn on behalf of the nation. But I didn't do these things. They're not my fault. I wasn't even alive when. I hear that from Christians periodically, both in person and on social media. Why should I be upset about something I had no part in? Ask Jesus. Toward the end of his life, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus has a moment where he mourns for Israel, even though he had no part in making Israel what it was. After all, Jesus was without sin. He was guiltless, and yet he still mourns for his nation. We read this in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. We read, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, He, what? Wept. He wept over it and he said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And so the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus mourns over his people and his nation. We must learn to mourn. I think by and large, the church in America has gotten really, 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 really good at the wrong things. We've gotten really, really good at judging and really, really, really bad at mourning. 
We've gotten really, really, really good at masking all of our hurt and all of our sin. And really, really, really bad about weeping face down on the floor before our God. It is necessary for us to mourn. It is necessary for us to mourn tragedy that comes into our life, especially the tragedy of sin, whether it's personal or corporate or, or even on behalf of the nation. Why is it necessary for us to mourn? Because mourning will lead us to repentance, or at least it should. Mourning should lead us to repentance. As, as Paul mentioned at communion, this is not just about beating ourselves up and saying, oh, what terrible people are we. No, mourning is the first step in moving forward. For without acknowledging that things aren't fine, things will never change. Godly mourning can alter the trajectory of a life, can alter the trajectory of a church, can alter the trajectory of a nation. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, he says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, that woe is me, woe is me, brings only death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you and what it can produce in us. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. And as we learn to, rep- uh, to mourn, as we learn to come before our God and say things aren't okay, as we learn to come before our God and acknowledge our sin and grieve over it, we learn to repent, that is, to change our ways, to turn the ship, to move in new directions, to leave those sins behind. And as we do that, as we come and we, we mourn before our God, as we come and and confess and and weep over our sin and our sin and even the nation's sin. As we do that and as we repent, we discover God's blessing. Because that's where we started, right? This whole thing began with, blessed are you. I know we've been talking about mourning for a, a long while, but let's get back to blessing, okay? Blessed are you, Jesus says, when you mourn. Blessed are you when you acknowledge that things aren't okay. Blessed are you when you're grieved over the tragedies that happened in your life. Blessed are you when you acknowledge and repent of your sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God's blessing for us when we mourn is his comfort. God's blessing is his comfort. 
This world is not um, an extraordinarily comforting place. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Has anybody noticed that this world is not particularly comforting? Oh, I've got this thing going on in your life. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Sucks to be you. No wonder we tell everybody that everything's fine when it's not. When we acknowledge our hurt, it gets piled on, we get beat up more. The world is not a very comforting place, especially for those who are mourning. The world is often cold, it is often thoughtless, it is often uncaring. But God's blessing is that he cares. That we matter to him. That when we are hurting and we are mourning, he is present with us, walking through those hurts with us. Oftentimes, I think that, that Christians really believe that when I sin, God moves far away from me. That's not true. When we sin and when we acknowledge our sin and when we grieve over our sin, we are never closer to God. For he longs to comfort us in the midst of our tragedies. He is with us when we mourn. He brings comfort into our brokenness. One of the most beautiful and amazing verses in all of the scriptures is in Psalm 34, verse 18, which, by the way, is a psalm of Morning. Sometimes we call them psalms of lament. Lament is just the fancy Bible word for mourning. Psalm 34, which is a psalm of mourning, verse 18 says this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in their spirits. When we are willing to mourn, when we're willing to say everything's not okay, everything's not fine, when we're willing to acknowledge our hurt and our heartache, when we're willing to be honest about our sin, the Lord is close to us and stands ready to save us. That's why Jesus' brother James calls us to mourn. I read this passage of scripture last week. I'll read it this week. Who knows, maybe I'll read it next week. God may be trying to say something to me or to you. But in James chapter four, verses nine and 10, James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, encourages us to become mourners. He says this, grieve, mourn, and wail. No one has ever written a worship song on that verse of scripture, by the way. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will do what? Lift you up. Are you willing to mourn? Are you willing to acknowledge that things aren't okay? That you're not okay? That we're not okay? Are you willing to confess your sin and weep over it before God and repent? Listen to me. And if you believe nothing else of what I've said today, believe this. Until you're willing to do that, nothing will ever get better. Hiding your hurt does not make it go away. Powering through your distress 
is not a remedy. Pretending that you're happy and joyful is no substitution for actually being happy and joyful. And until we are willing to mourn, nothing will get better. But when we are willing to mourn, we discover that God is close. When we are willing to mourn, we discover that God cares. When we are willing to mourn, we will enjoy the blessing of his comfort. When we are willing to mourn, God will be present. In order to help us understand this and put this into practice a little bit, I'd like to give you a couple of action steps this week. Two things that I'd like to ask you to do with me this week. As I said before, the Psalms are filled with Psalms of mourning or Psalms of lament. In fact, in 150 Psalms, almost one-third of them are are Psalms of lament or have some kind of mourning in them. I'm not going to ask you to read 50 Psalms this week. I am going to ask you to read one. This week, would you join me in reading Psalm 51? You can read it as many times as you like. You can read it every day. You can read it twice a day. You can read it once and it'd be done. It's all right. But I'd like to invite you to read Psalm 51 with me this week. Let me give you a little background on Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a very, very personal psalm of mourning and lament. It's the psalm, the poem, the song that David writes after that terrible, terrible affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. David writes this psalm in order to mourn his sin and to repent of his sin. And then he puts it in Israel's hymn book. I don't know about you, but that's not usually my, my first priority when I, when I mourn is to make a, a public spectacle of myself. But David thought that it was important that his people learn how to mourn and that they saw their leaders acknowledge their sin. So that's what he did. So I want to invite you to read Psalm 51 this week and take to heart what David has written there. And then having done that, you can't do the second action step without doing the first one, okay? Having read Psalm 51, I want to invite you to spend some time this week, and you're going to have to carve out a little chunk of time to do this, to write down and pray your own lament, your own mourning psalm. Write down and pray your own Lament, God, these are the things in my life that aren't okay. Use Psalm 51 as a, as a pattern or a template if you want to. Or Psalm 34 or Psalm 6 or, or any number of the psalms that have mourning in them. But write down and pray your own lament before God. God, these are the tragedies that I am facing right now. God, these are the sins that I am wrestling with right now. God, these are the things that I have contributed to in my church and in my nation. And I want to acknowledge them before you and mourn them before you and ask for your blessing of comfort today. And listen, as I've been talking this morning and as I give you that action step, if you are sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't really know that I have anything to lament, uh, there is a whole other issue we've got to talk about. Because each one of us has tragedy in our lives, don't we? Each one of us has sin. The Bible does not lie when it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't know what it is that you're wrestling with. I know what it is that I am. 
and I'm going to lament it. I'm going to mourn it before our God this week and ask for the blessing of his comfort as I engage in that mourning and repentance. As we stood by the grave of his mother, my friend looked at me and he lied. He said, I'm fine. But he's not. And I'm not. And we're not. And it's time that we said something. It's time that we mourned and lamented and turned ourselves to God. It is long past time that we discovered his comfort in the midst of our repentance. And the world that we live in cannot understand that. But maybe, just maybe, as we live out this beatitude, as we take to heart Jesus' word, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we learn to mourn and learn to repent, just maybe, just maybe, a neighbor might see us. A family member might take notice. A co-worker's attention may be drawn to us. A classmate might recognize something different in our lives. And even though the world at large cannot understand mourning and comfort in the Jesus way, perhaps one person in your life will. Perhaps they'll learn that it's okay not to bottle up everything inside of them Perhaps they'll know that it's okay to mourn. Perhaps they'll even come to know that when they do, there is a God who loves them, who is present with them and stands ready to comfort them in their mourning, just as he does in our own. Would you pray with me? Our Father God, we come before you today and we have read hard words from the scripture. We hear Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, and that does not make sense to us because that is not the way the world lives. And yet it is true in your kingdom. It is true in your kingdom, blessed are those who mourn filled with joy based on relationship with God, are we when we are willing to acknowledge our tragedies, when we are willing to lament our sins, when we are willing to name our hurts and face them. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed with your own comfort. Blessed with your own presence that nothing can take away from us. Blessed are we when we are willing to mourn with your love. Your love that comes to find us in our darkest places. Your love that comes to find us in the midst of our deep tragedy. As we soak our bed with tears. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This is the love of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Thank you for being present. We thank you for your comfort. We 
thank you for your love. In the name of Jesus, we all pray.